Hello, you're listening to Linguistically Aware, a spoken word program about the ways we use, understand, and think about language. I'm Dusan Nikolic, your host, and today I'm talking to you about the ways in which non-human communication is similar to, but still different from human language. While it might seem intuitive to you that human language is naturally more complex and non-replicable, which is ultimately true, there are numerous aspects about non-human language that are the same as our language. In the midst of the recently discovered tragedy, whereby 25 Kamloops Indian residential school children remains were discovered, tragic, heartbreaking devastation that the Canadian residential school system has inflicted on so many needs to be recognized. We also need to acknowledge that this is CGSW 90.9 FM broadcasting on the traditional territories of all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 of Southern Alberta. Communication. What is communication? Well, communication is the passing on or exchange of information. It distinguishes what is living from what is non-living in nature. Communication is found even in the apparently passive worlds of plants. Animals communicate among themselves, and they are often said to use some language. But are they using the language? Well, we're going to discover right now. One of the most striking things about animal communication is the variety of means through which it is carried. Animals communicate not only with sounds, but with the scent, light, ultrasound, visual signs, gestures, color, and even electricity. For example, a female moth signals its reproductive readiness through the release of pheromone into the air. Dogs leave a urine-based pheromone as an identification mark of their territory. Certain species of eels in the Amazon River communicate their presence by means of electrical impulses at various frequencies. The octopus changes color frequently, and this coloring is used for a range of messages that include territorial defense and mating readiness. The firefly uses light flashes in varying patterns to signal its identity, sex, and location. So animals communicate by using a variety of means. And it's amazing the repertoire that they are using. Communication in human, but also with animals, relies on using something to stand for something else. For something else. Words are an obvious example of this. You do not have to have a car or sandwich to talk to someone about them. I'm talking to you about non-human and human communication, but these are a little bit abstract ideas, right? The words that I'm producing stand for these ideas instead. This same phenomenon is found in animal communication as well. Uh, For example, many animals produce sounds or make gestures that threaten and intimidate their intruders. The message replaces the attack. Birds utter warning calls, 
that represent threat, a threatening animal or human need not be seen by other birds before they take flight. So perception of the warning call replaces visual perception of the threat. Each of these things stand for what is technically known as a sign. The sign is a unit of communication structure. It consists, it consists of two parts, a signifier, so for example, a word, a scent, a gesture, or something signified, something that exists in the real world and which is mentally represented in this conceptual uh, content of the sign. The real world can be thought of as external, mental, or emo emotional. And so what is signified by a sign can be as diverse as any abstract idea, feeling, or emotion. Because their content is conceptual, all signs are associated with some meaning, such as danger, or maybe item of furniture. Individual instances of signs are called tokens, and we produce them on a regular basis. Animals and humans have these notions and concepts, but they use them in a little bit different way, or a largely different way. And I would like to talk to you about three examples of animals which are very similar to human species in their communication, but still cannot achieve this greatness of language. The first species I would like to talk to you about is the bees. Bees are insects best known for their production of honey. However, they're known also by their remarkable communication ability too. Do bees have language though? Well, they have some sort of communication that might resemble language, but it's not really. They're remarkable. Bees display a remarkable system of communicating the location of food source to other bees in their hive. For example, when a food source is discovered, bees fly back to the hive and communicate, or just one bee flies back to the hive and communicates information about it by performing special movements, which are quite precise and complex, but we call them dancing because they, they look like dancing, right? The dancing conveys the location of the food source, its quality, and its distance from the hive. So it's some sort of a language with bees. For example, we would do this, this the same thing in words, and quite easily, efficiently, bees need to perform something else because they don't have this vocal apparatus, and not only that, they don't have language as humans do. So bees do the round dance and they do the round dance repeatedly in circles. This indicates a food source within five meters 
The sickle bands indicate food, food source from 5 to 20 meters, and the tail wagging bands indicate distances further than 20 meters. So there are three types of communication means and signs, basically, that indicate the, the, the food location. There are more complex tail wagging and sickle dances that bees perform to indicate the direction of the source. While they cannot indicate or communicate up and down, they still have the ability to communicate the direction, whether it's straightforward, whether you need to turn a little bit or not. By, you, by, by uh, doing these more complex wagging and sickle dances, they also indicate the quality of the source with the intensity of the dancing and the number of repetitions of the circling movements. It's quite remarkable that they can indicate food source, so the location, its quality, its distance and direction to the other, to the other bees, right? And there is also something, some kind of an interaction between the bees there. So the other bees are perceiving what the bee that uh, came into the hive is trying to convey. And there is an interaction that is the learning process there. Okay, now we need to go there where this, this bee has indicated and we need to find a food source. There is also a kind of a social ritual whereby the bee that does not convey any information properly might be stung as well. So it might, uh, there is a, some sort of consequence to their behavior if it's not, if it's false, if the information appears to be false, right? The complexity is also of, of this communication of bees is reflected in what we call redundancy. So a, you, the bees use different modalities to communicate the same information. And this is called redundancy. Redundancy helps guarantee that communication will succeed if other modalities fail or if it's imperfectly transmitted, right? So all communication system makes use of redundancy. We humans make you a lot of use of redundancy. Our language is quite redundant, but we make sure that with our language, we convey what we want to convey. We convey the meaning and redundancy helps a lot. Bee communication, like human language, shows symbolic, symptomatic redundancy traits and interaction traits. But there is a major difference between the communication system systems. The topic of bee language is severely constrained. Bees communicate only about food source. Their potential for communication is very limited. Only certain locations of food sources can be conveyed. As I said, they cannot convey the notion of up and down. They can be easily tricked into communicating the wrong direction of the food source. If strong light source is placed in an incorrect position with relation to the food source. They can also be tricked into giving the wrong information about the distance of the food source if they are forced to walk or stop several times during their trip. So there is 
a lot that constrains this communication, which we can overcome with our language, with conveying the meaning through through words. And we our communication is definitely more complex than this. However, we cannot say that these are not remar remarkable. They definitely are. Breakers, famous Serbian punk rock band. We are not going to break this party and we are going to keep talking about human versus non-human communication. Now I'd like to talk to you about birds. So we've seen that bees are extraordinary. Birds are also quite amazing in their communication. Birds can do a lot more than utter sounds over and over. Bird vocalization can be divided into two types, call and song. Calls are typically short bursts of sounds or simple pattern of notes. Songs are lengthy, elaborate patterns of mostly pitched sounds. Calls serve very specific functions in the bird community. They typically warn of predators, coordinate flocking and flight activities, 
express aggression and accompany, nest, accompany nesting or feeding behavior. The cawing, for example, of crows is a typical call. It appears to convey mobilization because of possible danger. When a crow hears cawing, it flies up to a tree if it is on the ground or flies higher in a tree or to another tree if it is already in one. So there is some kind of interaction between uh, the crows when there is a call. In some birds, individual calls are associated with specific activities. So for example, a danger call is quite different from a call given when birds are grouped in, in, a, in a flight. The danger call given by small birds when larger predators threaten them is typically thin and high-pitched. This kind of sound is difficult to locate, so can't be given as a warning without revealing the position of the caller. A flight call is generally short, crisp, and easy to locate by other group members. The honking of geese in flight is, is a typical example of this sort of call. Because it is loud and easy to locate, it is well suited to enable the bird flock to stay together. Such functional utility is typical of bird calls, and in fact, calls that serve the same communicative purpose are often remarkably similar among different species of birds. Bird song is different from calling. Although calls are produced year-round, singing is largely limited to spring, summer, and autumn. The main purposes of song are, as far as we know, to announce and delimit the territory of the male and to attract a mate. Birds establish territory for breeding purposes and defend the territory quite vigorously. For example, across Canada, uh, as far as north as Hudson Bay in the east, and well into the Northwest Territories and the Yukon in the West, it is a common sight in the spring to see a red-winged blackbird and its mate team up to drive away a male of their species that has strayed into their territory. The use of song enables them to establish and maintain this territory. How do we know this? Well, by recording the birds and taking a look at what we call spectrogram, an acoustic recording that shows pitch and intensity of sound along a time axis. So we have a spectrogram, which we take a look at uh, in, on our computers, and we see that there are different patterns, right? We see that one part of the song is different from the other part of the song, and they are, they are quite recognizable because of this pattern. There is also some evidence that sections of a song are combined in different orders by certain birds, but there is no evidence that recombination is associated, is associated with different meaning, which would be one quite important characteristic of language or, or of a human language and some kind of a feature that would resemble human language because uh, we can recombine anything basically to mean uh, what we want it to mean. But birds probably cannot. The same uh, spectrum of notes means the same thing, although it can be repeated, right? So one of the um, very specific uh, traits of bird songs that there are dialects 
and and calls songs songs and calls their dialects among bird species uh, researchers even speak of avian isoglosses so they they draw lines on a map to indicate differences between dialects uh, like in human language right but how can we compare humans and birds the acquisition of call and songs by birds shows interesting parallels with the uh, acquisition of language by human children. A great deal of bird vocalization appears to be innate, so appears to be inborn, right? There is much that appears to be acquired still. So although they are born with or they develop with this uh, vocalization, they acquire something. So there is a learning pattern, just like we acquire language. Um, it appears that the singing ability is lateralized in the left brains of birds as if, if it were a linguistic ability. And we have this uh, lateralization in the left part of our brains that appears to be the most important part for, the, for, for linguistic abilities in humans, right? The innate component predisposes birds to perform general song that is extremely simplified. This has been called a template or blueprint. Only exposure to the fully formed song of the species will enable them to produce the correct song. So birds are remarkable because they can do calls and songs. They can learn different songs and different patterns but they don't have this productivity and uh, they don't have this productivity that humans have they cannot uh, recombine different elements and make probably new blends like we do on a weekly basis what about non-human primates i want to draw attention specifically to monkeys, of course, and chimpanzees. So there are many studies with monkeys and how they communicate. Um, one study of the bonnet macaque, a South Asian monkey, presents a system of 25 different basic patterns that are used in various social interactions. They use different kind of vocalizations and they are determined by correlating observation with this spectrograph analysis. Uh, some of the descriptive labels of this, these vocalizations are woo, rattle, growl, whistle, and bark. Uh, these basic patterns are described as grading into each other. So monkeys use combination of these and that is something that we use as well. I, I mean, not specifically barks and growls and whistles, but we can, right now, why not? And we can make specific combinations of, of, uh, uh, of words and sounds that we use. The communication systems of many monkeys appear to be genetically determined. Uh, however, this is not characteristic for all monkeys. For some monkeys, input from the adult system appears to be required. Um, for example, the East African vervet monkey is said to have three distinctive and arbitrary calls that announce the presence of eagles, snakes, or large mammals posing a threat. 
These calls are associated with different responses by the monkeys. When they hear the eagle call, the monkeys look up or run into the bushes, right? The snake call causes them to look down at the ground near them, and the mammal alarm sees them run up into the trees or climb, high, climb higher in a tree if they're already in one. These findings, which appear to be well-established, right, suggest that not all non-human primates rely strictly on symptomatic signals to communicate or trigger behavior in others. It is claimed rather that the vervets assess the potential dangerous situation. So they have to assess what is it that is, how, how big a danger it is, right? In order to choose a specific call with a clearly defined reference to announce the danger. Something that we use as well, right? Chimpanzees do resemble humans, right? Uh, chimpanzees have certain vocal abilities, but we developed into humans, of course, and we have um, a jaw that is not as protruded as in chimpanzees or monkeys. We have uh, vocal cords that are neatly placed inside of our glottis. We have the, the epiglottis that uh, balances uh, whether the food is going to go into our uh, aspiratory tract or not, which is essential for survival, we develop in such a way so as to be able to communicate and use language. Uh, chimpanzees and monkeys did not. But chimpanzees can vocalize a number of graded calls. So if they have 34 distinct calls that have been reported for one species. Uh, some of these appear to show rather specific reference. Uh, for example, chimps uh, typically produce a vocalization called rough grunting in the presence of a favorite food source. Uh, they produce pant hoot, a sound that carries well in dense forest um, to indicate location. Pant hoot is also used in greeting or when chimps are excited about something. And then there is pant grunting that appears to be used by low-ranking animals in the presence of higher-ranking ones. So acknowledging some kind of social hierarchy as well. And the studies also suggest that there are some association of vocalization in particular behavior in social contexts, such as travel, feeding, resting. So we have evidence that they, uh, that they can use a lot, of, um, a lot of these calls and vocalizations in order to suggest different kinds of social structures, different kinds of uh, rituals and of course um, what what's important for animals to indicate threats and uh, aggression and mating many linguists claim that there is no connection between communicative behavior and non-human primates and the complex structures of human language there are some opposing views that claim that even the capacity for true grammatical activity can be found in non-human primates this implies that we call language reflects a cognitive difference in degree and not in kind between humans and these animals. Uh, the optimistic view is that such research may ultimately shed light on the evolutionary origins of our species and its language use by demonstrating, demonstrating the degree of shared cognitive abilities between ourselves and our nearest genetic relatives. So it's very important to study uh, non-human means of communication 
and whether there are any patterns of linguistic ability. Hopefully, in this very short episode, I managed to spark your imagination a little bit, and hopefully, I managed to intrigue you into looking into some non-human, more specifically animal communication means as a reflection or a mirror on linguistic abilities that we have. And hopefully, you've learned uh, something new today. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Dusan Nikolic, and this is Linguistically Aware. You can reach us at dusannikolic.com. You can also follow and share our Twitter page, uh, Linguist Aware. Don't forget to uh, visit CJSW 90.9 FM spoken word program, Linguistically Aware. You're on the right radio station. Do not change the channel. See you soon. Bye. Oh